0: Hello, once again. Uh, This is Robin Hunneke. I'm with you today for the Game Maker's Notebook here at Dice Dubrovnik. It is a gorgeous, beautiful day by the ocean. Lovely, lovely Adriatic. And I'm here with Abby Heppy, who currently works at Media Molecule, has been in the industry for quite a long time. And we're going to talk a little bit about community management, uh, communications, and how communications uh, has evolved as part of the development process over the last uh, 15, 20 years or so. introduce yourself. Cool. Uh,
1: so uh, I'm, I'm Abby. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I manage communications for Media Molecule, but I started in the industry in print media uh, as a uh, editor at Tips and Tricks magazine. Wow. Yeah. When? Uh, in 2006. Way to go. Yeah, I think yeah, January two thousand six, <laughs> um, and so you know writing previews and and things and 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 testing a lot of cheat codes for the magazine, which is like a weird because I talked about it somebody else like, do cheat codes even exist? Does anybody even do
0: that anymore? <laughs> the Game Shark. Or is it today? Yeah,
1: um, and 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 every once in a while, writing a strategy guide uh, and that sort of thing. And then I moved to television, and I was the uh, I was a senior producer for X Play on G4, Yay. and I did a lot of stuff for the website as well, and had a podcast there. And then development side, and worked at uh, Respawn Entertainment uh, in community, but as a startup, like it was it was actually not dissimilar from the role I'm doing now because it still was. Like liaisoning between marketing, PR, licensing. Um, and then I started at Media Molecule. Now, I can't even believe this, like two and a half years ago. I was going to say, it was, yeah. l- it was a little
0: bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, it feels crazy that it's been that long. And I moved to a new country, and yeah. uh, and it's been a really exciting journey.
0: So how did you initially get started? What was it that got you to tips and tricks? Like, how did that happen? Because that's got to be an interesting story. Um, oh,
1: my God. It's so silly. Uh, I, it was They posted the job ad on, like, Craigslist when you could still get, like, a job off of Craigslist. And I worked uh, at a uh, digital, photog- digital photography studio at the time, and uh, but I picked up a lot of freelance writing work. So I wrote tons of, like, web copy and marketing copy and mm. stuff like that, and I would always so just scan for... Uh, like, you know, jobs. And I saw that and I was like, oh my God, a print magazine job. I studied print journalism and, and, and in video games, which I love, like, this is the perfect thing. And I went in and I interviewed and it was for Larry Flint Publications, which is like probably a whole nother podcast. And, uh, and yeah, (laughs) but it was really cool. And I, I really loved the team there. They were really cool.
0: That's awesome. And when you got into the sort of game side of it, what were some of the things that you noticed about communications and how game developers and their audiences met each other through print.
1: Well, it's I mean especially because I was coming in as a fan, you know, yeah. and and there's a lot of people in this industry who who came in as fans. And it was weird also coming into an industry that was, you know, well, going out of business yeah. as we did like a year later. Yeah. Um and you know, most of the ways that we we It was sort of pre a lot of the systems that we use now to communicate with people like, you know, Twitter. And uh, right at the time where I was joining, we were like, should we have a website? (laughs) I mean, you laugh, but like, like we should should have started sooner. And then, you know, and and by the time they even, you know, decided to like sort of launch a digital platform for that, it was too too late. It was gone. And, and, and really missed that opportunity. You know, most of the, the letters, uh, that, you know, we got letters that, you know, <laughs> we didn't do a lot of direct engagement with people, you know, just because there wasn't really that opportunity, yeah. maybe a convention or something.
0: But. It happened so fast. Like 2006 is uh, when I took my first game industry job at EA, and I remember thinking, well, maybe this will work out, you know. Yeah. And, it, and the, the industry just grew so quickly and the internet had such an impact on the way that we deliver games. The Sims was one of the first games that had a customer-facing website right. that they pulled information from um, and we would design expansion packs and like think about the base game mm-hmm. in terms of what the fans wanted. And I can remember people thinking that that was really strange at yeah. the time. It seemed, it seemed very bizarre to have an internet conversation with your customer base. Uh, It was, I mean,
1: when I went to G4, the focus was television and and, and TV, you know, was, you know, like was their bread and butter. But, you know, on the other side, you've got G4TV.com and the website and people going and engaging there in a very, you know, and and sometimes in a very different way. And I worked with that team a lot, but at the time, like those teams really didn't connect. Uh, So it wasn't about building like a platform across everything. It was sort of like it was treated as very separate, which I I don't think is the approach that you would take now. And meanwhile, the television side is getting, you know, towards the the end of my uh, uh, tenure there, um, eclipsed by in in a very weird and parallel way, influencers and people building up their own brands and their own content and their own like video game shows. I mean, like I remember how much we'd just be like, just show gameplay, which is like all people do now and just watch. And like that being more of a foreign idea to like television executives. Yeah. Like, why no, would this someone has to be. Watch a
0: game. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny because I can remember G4 and being interviewed for G, for games by G4 and thinking about like, okay, can we get up on this particular website and it being a very a very valuable experience, uh, you know, as a developer to be able to talk about your game live um, and that also you would kind of hoard those moments so you would wait till the very, very last possible mm-hmm. minute right before you were out on the store or, you know, in the stores of physically course, yeah. to do it because it was like, well, we really need people to be able to go from watching the show or reading the magazine to GameStop and buy the game, yep. right? And now it's just, it's totally different, right? Like, yeah. Wh- how would you describe the way it is today?
1: Well, I mean, it really depends on what kind of game you're making and, and how long that run, you know, up to releases and if yeah. you're doing games as a service and what platform you're on. I mean, like there's no, there's no one size fits all approach for it. Um, especially if like when you work at studios you then have multiple games and how do you sustain that period in between where you don't really have something that's coming out? Like she just go away. <laughs> uh, you can't, I mean, but you you literally just can't in this day and age. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I, it, it's like no one has an answer for that. I don't yeah. think in yeah. a way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's say um, I'm a, I'm a single developer. I'm an indie developer. Maybe it's like me and maybe two or three contractors. I'm working on a game and I start streaming my development, right? you know mm-hmm. then I'm having the conversation with my with my customers, and then there's that question of like at what point should I Spend money on a booth, right? And go to the Mm -hmm. go to PAX or something that's like, when should I engage my customers physically? Then there's the complete opposite, which is. And I still
1: think closer to when you're coming out because that's when you're, you know, actually need people to go and like buy the thing. And that's when to sort of build up. Like you definitely want to ramp up to that because you
0: don't have the resources. You don't have
1: unlimited spend. I mean, if we all had that, that'd be great. Go to
0: everything and be everywhere and just do everything (laughs) all the time. But like that's not realistic for anyone. It's also switching gears that is really kind of difficult. Like even for phenomena, running a PAX booth is. It's a three-week endeavor at, at minimum, right? Because you have yep. to think about the design. You have to get everything to Seattle or Boston or wherever you're going, Australia. And then you have to man the booth and you have to be there every day mm-hmm. and like you have to do all it of this. It takes the time and feedback. staff and energy and yeah. asset
1: development. Yeah. And I, it, like people don't realize how much can just go into doing one of those.
0: So I had a conversation actually um, with a, with another developer and we, were, we sort of decided it was about a $10,000 cost to mm-hmm. you even if um, even if you had some kind of Minimum. breaks. Minimum, yeah. So maybe 10 to 20K. Um, and then there's the, the, the human costs.
1: Hotels, flights, time out of the development studio. Everything. The time that you spent getting prepared for it and the time that that took away from working on the game. So let's say uh, it's
0: yeah. like a $50,000 cost to do one show. And my friend was saying, you know, you could put $50,000 into making and promoting a video online mm-hmm. and you would reach millions of people. What's the maybe. Va- yeah, maybe. What's the value of going to the show? And I was like, well, you know, I... I really like meeting my audience. I like to have people play the game and giggle and like if they're playing with Tom, like sit there and take pictures of each other playing and like, you Mm know, make jokes about the poop and the toilet and the other weird characters in the game. And you get to see the joy on their faces and for me that's incredibly energizing. Mm -hmm. But I also recognize that from a communications perspective, maybe it is better to just – Stay at home and make the video. I don't know. It's a hard question. I think
1: it is, and I and, and I don't. I think, like I said, I think it's different for the, depending on what, who your company is and what kind of game you're making, and like what you want that relationship to be with the people who play it, and like where your audience is based. And should you
0: start thinking about that stuff, but like at the very beginning? Is yes. It like yeah. Should you make a little <laughs> chart? Is that should I be doing that? No, I mean
1: I think like I, I help develop strategy alongside you know development, and it's really hard, and because. I think it's, I'm lucky because I get to focus on that for the most part. But like, you know, this development changes and things change and messaging and focus and, and, you know, what people are are working on and timing, I mean, timing of all things changes, (laughs) which gets, uh, you know, which is a really, you know, you have to be constantly sort of adapting to what makes sense for what you're doing. And you also have to be open to saying at a certain point, like this isn't working, like we should try something else.
0: So what's a good example of a place where you were working on a strategy or you've seen a strategy out there and then it, it hasn't been working and you've been able to evangelize a change? What's a good example of that?
1: Well, we're in such a, we're, we're actually in just such an interesting place because we're in early access. Okay, and yeah, let's and talk like about we that. haven't really been like putting spend behind what we're doing. Like it's very organic. It's very like community driven. So right now it's more about sitting back and analyzing and looking at like what is working? Like what are people engaging with? Like when do we see people come into the game? And uh, you know, a lot of times that's after spikes of, you know, community made content goes viral.
0: All right, um, so t- t- before before we go too much further, tell us a little bit about Dreams and like what the what the current state of it is.
1: Sure. So Dreams is a platform for hobbyist game development. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are there are professionals that use it, I, you know, I think in a like at home on your couch sort of way. Um, but the idea behind it is that you can sit on your couch or on your PlayStation and make a game yeah. or a piece of art or music or all the different things that like funnel into games. And yeah, that's and always experience. where the difficulty comes is like when you want to talk about all of those other things because they're so cool. But it, they are really all the things that make up. Interactive experiences. Yeah. So, because people are doing it for far, using it for far more than making games. Um, and
0: when you started uh, at Media Molecule, was that the tagline, or was it something different? Did you know how to talk about it?
1: It. I mean, the studio has always done play, create, share. I mean, okay. Starting with Little Big Planet, and yes. and so like I think that the game is very much the sort of uh, like. I don't know, fulfillment of the the studio's uh like message and vision. Yeah. And you know, it's like it's very MM. Um, but it has been difficult to explain to people, uh, in a way that like I, I think that there's actually a generation of gamers right now who's like very comfortable with creation and very comfortable with like being a part of that creative process and like yeah. making things and being uh but but maybe in in our sort of generation of it, like less so. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to, uh, or like at least the perception because everybody always goes like, what is dreams? Right. And then they want the elevator pitch for like, what is dreams? And so, I mean, that took a while to sort of whittle and hone down because you're doing that alongside the development of the product, which is like changes, Yeah, you know? So like the core was always there, but I think it's just things kept coming into it and adding, it started with sculpting. And then, you know, now at this point we have everything.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and so you have this tool, it's got a lot of different components in it and then you're, you're. Currently in alpha, right? You have alpha access? Early access. So uh, yeah, we're the yeah, first yeah.
1: PlayStation game in early access. Yeah. Uh, and
0: so that means that someone can get a code and download it and make stuff, and then you have a rel- relatively active player community, right? Yeah.
1: If you're in North America or Europe, you can download Dreams, or Japan, uh, you can download Dreams today and start playing. Um, we have about uh, 100,000 people who have joined in early access. Uh, there's a lot of creators. I think some of those people who are like players who are like, I'll check this out. Further down the line, when yeah, you yeah. know, and there's more you know content. in, although there is a ton now, yeah, I was gonna say. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I've, I've
0: checked it out. I have it on my PlayStation at home, and sometimes I just like log on and surf content. And there's a lot of stuff in there.
1: I I mean, I have played it with my family. I I play like it is. It has actually become oddly like. Uh, my new party game, like in the same (laughs) way that like Rock Band used to be like, everybody come over and we'll just like jam out in this for a while. Like it has become my like, let's just see some things. And like, let's go through a browsing experience of all of this because you just find such, I mean, people are so creative.
0: So to me, that's kind of, I was talking a little bit yesterday about um, player communities and creativity, um, specifically looking at Roblox and Minecraft and Dreams and thinking about how online communities become sticky Mm -hmm. um, and how if you give your players something creative, to play with where they can create the content experience for other players, you've effectively kind of created your own little shard of reality. And Mm -hmm. in that shard, people really get excited. They create their own memes. There's like a communication that, that, that only the players in that space can understand, which I think is really fascinating from a game design perspective. What does it mean from a, from a communications perspective?
1: Oh, that's a great question.
0: Um, what I love about
1: a communications role is a communications role falls between traditional marketing and PR is usually based at a studio yeah. and has like a deep connection to the game, the community, the players that you see. That's a so a lot of
0: people to think about all at once, Abby. It is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but but what it allows you to do is like know who those people are. I mean, sometimes just personally, like meet yeah. them, talk to them. Um, but also like see how those sub-communities develop and, like, see where, you know, where people's interests lie and be able to also engage them directly around that, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, And then help to develop things that, like are good for them and, and, you know, whether that's, you know, helping, uh, the, you know, the teams who are designing like the in-game systems that are built around community or making sure that everything we do on the other side is like, we're thinking about the choices that we make and how they're going to affect those people who are like your core, you know, people who love and evangelize and, and support you day to day. Yeah. Um, so I think I totally lost the thread of your question just no, no, because no. it was so... <laughs> no, you,
0: you, you, you're, you're, What I'm hearing is that essentially your responsibility is to think about both sides of the fence, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're in the development team, you're on staff, you're aware how the game is evolving and the tools and the channels inside the product are evolving, but you're also paying attention to the community experience. And then I'm assuming there's a part of your job that involves communicating upwards into the organization, mm-hmm. like Sony... As a platform itself, like here are the supports that we need or here's the ways in which we can engage the audience that you have access to through through the network, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So you're kind of at the intersection between the platform holder, right? And then also the community and the developer. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're in-house, which makes it, I mean, it must mean, I mean, I would imagine it means that people trust you because you really know the game and yeah. you really know the community. And they know
1: right? I have their best interests in, in, at heart because yeah. I'm part of the company. And and oftentimes it it actually it helps serving a sort of a translation between like here's what's going on in this other world that I don't need you to have to worry about. that right. I want you to have to worry about the problems that you have to solve day to day that are the game problems and development. Yeah. And then I can sort of be a middle person who, who separates you from that world, but also make sure that your interests and what you value are represented
0: there. Do you do a lot of presentations? Do you end up like taking data down from the community and sort of trying to package it up so that people can understand even if they're not that familiar with the development cycle like how much of your communication is inward to the team versus say upward to partners inside of Sony um
1: it it kind of depends on the phase of the project i mean i try to keep people posted with what's going on in the studio uh, and then a lot of it is reporting back in and, and working ahead on like strategy and like forward, you know, thinking stuff. Um, but it depends at different times in the project, like especially when we're doing stuff that's outward facing, you know, it's more like media, media training, social media training, you know, direct engagement over like, you know, here's what we're doing. We've got events coming up, like, yeah. you know, training people with, you know, what the demos are and, uh, you know, what our messaging is and and making sure that I've checked with everybody to make sure that everything that we're saying is correct to, you know, where the game is in development and all that so fun stuff.
0: We were, we were Packs together and stream some stuff from the content on a panel, and um, one of the questions that you got was around, um, will you be supporting these kinds of features with the editor? And I think your answer was, we would like to, but we have a big list, right? Yeah. And that's like, <laughs> you know, there's a big list of things we want yeah. to do, and we have to prioritize against um, some larger features that yeah. we're going to be implementing. But eventually, yes, we will, you know, that's that's on the list. Yeah. And it, I felt like in that moment, like, you get development. <laughs> because that is, like, it's always the answer on any game. Like, yeah. when someone says, when is this feature going to be finished? Like, if it's your publisher, for example, when is this feature going to be finished? You're like, well, <laughs> as soon yeah. as we get the networking fixed, we'll probably end up working on that frame rate issue. But for now, it's just going to be kind of chunky. And yeah. you're always explaining this stuff um and so to to move into a place where even the communication about game features to a community as the game is being developed you have to manage that conversation that's like a it's like a I think it's a step we're taking as an industry as a whole I think so
1: too and it's also a tightrope because you don't want to promise things to community that like not even that you you may deliver on it at some point Mm -hmm. but if that delivery is going to be really far out and dream is dream is a service game I mean like we have a long-term plan for you know how we how we're going to you know, to do it. And we have things that we have to prioritize ahead of others. And so it's like, you don't, I, you know, you want to tell everybody everything because it's all so <laughs> exciting and great. And I would love to talk about that stuff. And like, you know, and sometimes people do, but I always try to sort of walk that tightrope with community to just be like, I, I, the reason I'm focusing on these things is because they are what's coming and what's, you know, what's soon and what's new. And I don't want to tell people on things that are so far out yeah. that like, they're going to be asking between, because the second you bring that up, they are then going to be asking about it. Enti- until you deliver that yeah and and that can be really stressful,
0: you know as a developer, I have a tendency to always think about the the third or fourth order design uh opportunities in a product. Right. So like, I call them you know, I call them DLC opportunities yeah. <laughs> one time in the studio and like that has kind of stuck. Cause yeah, you're like, well, once we get this base game in, then we can build out the home system. Then we can also build out the costuming and social systems. And then eventually there'll be a creativity tool that allows you to do blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. And I'll be talking about all that stuff. And it's like, on my team, I have people that say, okay, hold on let's put that in the list and like prioritize it accordingly. And then let's just not talk about that right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, as a developer, you know, one of the things that you get excited about is the potential of a system to do leaps and bounds more than it might do initially. Of course. You know, and you really want to talk about it as a motivator for the team. But if you, yeah, you know, essentially if you tell people that stuff, you, I mean, I know now from experience, you should probably not talk about it to your publisher mm-hmm. until it's almost done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no but focus you, is good. Yeah, yeah, but you should definitely not talk to your fans <laughs> no. about it ahead of time. But as we move into live development and like being more honest about the games that we're making up front and trying to build the community up front, yeah. that, is, that is a really hard line to walk because you... You don't want to feel like you're holding back from your players about the enthusiasm that you have and the dream that you have no, for the product, right? But it's
1: something that needs to be managed because like the combination of expectations and 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 like on-topic messaging and focus and triage and like yeah. all of these things that come together in that space are important to like long-term strategy and long-term communications goals. And like I have a lot of sympathy mm-hmm. for – transparency like okay. I, I, I as 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 a like a i don't know ethos like i think it's great yeah. and and i actually like i that's what i like about working with developers is helping take those things and magnify the bits that like definitely should be and i believe in transparency with communities to a point yeah like it's like you just can't do everything all at once um you know so it's like i try to say like okay that's great but we have this other thing that's coming up down here and it would be more appropriate. It would be better. And in fact, the message will get out further and, and when you can focus on it more and share more details rather than just saying something about it now because you're excited about it. Yeah,
0: Vague booking it just because you think it's cool. Exactly. Yeah. And
1: so, you know, that is, it's, what I love about the role of communications is like it is, it's not, it's not a new thing to other industries, but for games, it, it is kind of a bit and, it's a really weird space to be because it's not one that necessarily has a clear pathway through the industry yet. Like it doesn't, you know, in the same way that like maybe production or, or something else does. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's it's been a weird space to operate in because
0: how many people do you like know that do your job right now? Like it's starting can you to become count them on one hand, two hands?
1: No, more I mean, it's starting to become more common at, at studios to have a communications person uh i mean definitely that number has like i can i i could get my toes out if, yeah. <laughs> you know over the past like 5 or so years um but i think it's still relatively new i don't think there's a great um like i think pr and marketing are still you know figuring out where they all fit in that space and also separating it from just community to like actually community driven Marketing, PR, social system, like it's and it's, development, right? Yeah, and so and I, I think like the industry is still figuring out where that that fits in the space of of games as a whole and as a career path.
0: You know, it's interesting. So, like, if you're putting together a budget, let's say for a game, and you're going to a publisher or a potential funder, and you're saying, hey, you know, we're going to be making a game as a service, and so. Um, here are all the people that I need for the network development. Mm-hmm. And here are all the people I need for AI. Here's the rendering team. Here's the design and production team. And then you go, here's the community manager. Here's the testers. Mm-hmm. Here's the communications director. And it ends up being that like the overhead on the project, if you think of it as overhead, um, just to, to manage a live game can be 10 to yeah. 20 heads, you know, if you mm-hmm. really are trying to do something big. Yeah. It can be very hard to convince someone to sure. give you that money because I think in a way it can be seen as something that the publisher should provide, but it's so hard. But the publisher isn't
1: going to provide somebody that sits at your studio and learns everything about your game and is a part of that process from the beginning to the end. Yeah. And so... And I and I think a lot of the reason that tons of jobs end up falling on community managers is because making that decision to actually have a communication it makes makes sense for a larger studio, yeah, of course. But or like an if you're smaller, studio. you're yeah. smaller, or an internal studio. But if you're smaller and you're more scrappy, then like you know most people are like, great, we'll get ourselves a community manager, and then the community manager ends up doing those x amount of jobs, which is how you get tweets. a bunch of people who are like ready to be <laughs> communications yeah. people. Yeah, um, it is true because they manage you know like like social, but they'll also be you know people who interface with your you know your marketing and PR yeah. teams because they are actually the Ones who know your. Customers and your community, and in some a lot of times the game better than yeah. anyone else. Yeah. And and I do think that if you can afford it, and if you can work it into your budget, having a community manager and having someone, even if they don't have a lot to do at the beginning, but being a part of that game journey and being a part of the team journey, so that they are as integrated, as knowledgeable as as anybody else, is is an investment worth making.
0: It used to be that the executive producer did all that work. Like when I worked on Journey, that was effectively my my second job was to work with Kelly on. Messaging, mm-hmm. do events, reach out to the community, be on stage for whatever. Okay. You know, if Genova didn't want to leave the team space because he was too busy working on the game, it always fell on our shoulders. And like, you really did start to see. I feel like towards the the like the 2010 era, you know, and forward, you started seeing people being like, "Well, someone's going to have to actually manage the Twitter. Someone eventually, someone's going to have to manage the Facebook, the Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's you know, the Pinterest page. Like, it yeah. starts to become a thing that you're like." okay, the art director is now responsible for all of our pins and then we have a public pin and like Phenomena has like a public Slack channel Mm -hmm. where people can post into the Slack about what's going on on the team or something that we've done at the studio. Um, We had a mixer channel for a while, which we still have, where we were building a game that you could play with a thousand players at once, Mm -hmm. um, which meant that the community manager at our studio, Jake, was constantly arranging for other people in the studio to be on the channel and talking to people. And it's just, for me, you know, I look at when, you know, between when I started working. In games around 2006, and now it's only been 10 years, 15 years maybe, and Mm -hmm. you still see that there's this radical change even in the role of being a senior leader in the studio, being a manager. You're starting to see this communications role becoming more and more of a. It's like a leadership level kind of communications. Yeah um it's it's management essentially but it's management from inside the company out to the community as opposed to from inside the company in into teams or into subteams on your on your on site and i think that's really it's fascinating because it's such a leadership opportunity mm-hmm. but it's such a huge amount of responsibility but right but it's also hard to get that
1: recognition of it as a leadership opportunity as well yeah. and i think that's where it can you can really struggle with the role i've i've definitely felt that because you know especially Sort of journey of community management as a career and 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 as a path is again just sort of like forming within the industry. And yeah. Like and I and and for a while and I think this has changed a lot. The visibility into like what that role handles, the people management skills, the uh, you know the day to day, the the places where you you know extend yourself out into other areas because it is. I mean, just look at the shifts that have happened in the past 10 years, like some of what we alluded to, some of which we haven't even touched on yet, which is like influencer marketing and, yeah. and like, and, and, and how important it is to have people who, who manage people within this sort of role. Yeah. Like it's, you know, I, th- I think I will be really interested to see what the career path looks like for someone, you know, 10 years down the line, as opposed to like sort of having to have been on the forefront of it. If you
0: were going to design a class for community managers, like <laughs> if you were like, if you were going to teach a class, um, what do you think are the, like, let's say you have 10 weeks, what are the things that you cover in that class that really prepare people to be in a public-facing role like this that's also internal to a studio? What are some of the core skills that you think that that person needs?
1: Uh, well, media training is is one of them. Uh, customer service and support. Like, I, I actually, I I had a, you know, when I was a you know teenager, so like working in customer support roles tells yeah. you a lot about how you learn to speak to people and how you also learn to, like, Talk to people when they're angry or upset or or frustrated, and uh, my God, then I think we would. I mean, uh, writing and uh, like copy like editing, copy editing and and writing is also a big a part of that. Um, I, it's oh God, it's public just, speaking maybe. Yeah, that's part of like part of media training would be yeah. you know public speaking. Um, but I think at this point too, you would have to get into, um, like. Brand management system, like I mean, that it's 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 it would be pretty extensive. It's like what ent- yeah. if we're starting for entry level, sure, yeah. like a lot of those things. Um,
0: there's got to be best practices for um, just using social crisis media. management, crisis management, right? Crisis management is a yeah, big part of that, yeah, yeah. And then let's say that you have something that's um, like a, a success disaster, like a game that takes off, um basically by accident, mm-hmm. you know, you have a success and you didn't know it was going to be a success, um, how to scale up your efforts maybe or partnership mm-hmm. relationships. Like if yeah. you if you have a very successful game on a platform and the platform suddenly comes to you and is like, here are all these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a story actually recently about, <laughs> about a platform that wanted a game to do an, a, a marketing opportunity um, and they pitched them on it. I think maybe two weeks before they were going to mm-hmm. do the engagement. And the team was just like, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't match our brand. We we don't want to do of it. Of course, yeah. But that was a very, very difficult conversation to have internally because some people were like, well, but marketing is marketing. And then other people were like, actually, no. You know, if the engagement isn't right for the brand, then we probably shouldn't do it. And like there are not a lot of indies that are, for example… Prepared to have that conversation right now?
1: No, and I, you know, and part of that is like figuring out like what is your like what is your voice and 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 values as a studio? Like what yeah. what who who are you? If you were to be a person on social media, like describe yourself. Yeah, because people who work in you know community management are going to have to adapt that voice and in and, and that sort of brand identity into everything that you do. Like it's not just going to it will be a, a bit of them and their personality and every person that you change, every person you hire in that role will affect. Yeah. what that voice is and and how you communicate outwards but you also need to you know be representative of the studio that you work for and that means representing their interests like in everything but also their voice which
0: it's really hard because like for, and say
1: no when those sorts yeah of things it's happen. like
0: i i think about it and like we've talked about it internally at phenomena and it's like well phenomena is a very specific kind of studio you know we're 50 50 in terms of you know gender and, like, difference split. we spent a lot of time thinking about inclusion, diversity, but also, like, games that care and that respect your time and all this other stuff. And they're very, like, kind of highfalutin notions about Mm -hmm. what it means to be a studio. And sometimes you think, like, well, no one's really going to care. But then if you really think about it, it does come across. Like, when I think of Media Molecule, I always think of creativity. Mm -hmm. I always think of um, whimsy, you know, and like an interest in um, something that's different so that there's a place for all comers. But I feel like Media Molecule games always have a quirkiness or like yeah. a little bit of a wonkiness mm-hmm. that makes them feel handmade. Yeah. And that is not something that so anyone a is... craftiness and a yeah. sense of
1: humor in a Yeah. Yeah.
0: No one's ever said that to me, but I definitely, you can see it in Sackboy and all the dreams as well. Like all the mm-hmm. all the stuff that's out there right now, you can see this this sort of it's like a, yeah, handmade quality. Like, yeah. Like a, you know, the... So it's studio the makers. It's people yeah. who
1: like to create things and make things. And, and you know, whether it's, it's being at home and like crafting or playing music or something, like everybody has a creative hobby. Yeah. And I think, that, you know, that really feeds into, you know, the studios, uh, like, you know, what, who we are. And it's great that that also reflects outwards because that is like then we're doing our
0: jobs yeah. <laughs> this is great. Well, and so like at the PAX panel, there were people in the audience that were asking some really pointed questions about like, how will the editor behave? Like, will I be able, yeah. they were very clearly thinking of it as, um, as a tool they were going to spend a lot of time with, yep. which is, that means that you have a, an, an audience that's not just hobbyists, but they're, they're very interested in being able to express their unique vision. Right. Yeah. So that's a, I feel like that's a very, um, it's it's kind of like it's a it's a wealth you know of of interest because you not only are you getting a person who's like I'll spend time in here but they're going to give you really active feedback about your tools yes I mean I guess at some level then they're going to give you a lot of feedback so how yeah, do we you, have a
1: feedback manager yeah I was um, going to say
0: how do you get through it
1: well like that's super interesting because w- going from games that were not at all like Dream you know like going from like first person shooters into yeah. uh, you know into Dreams is like a huge transition but I've had to learn. Uh, this is gonna. This, I, hate, I feel like it sounds so stupid when I say this, but yeah. like I've had to learn to make games. Like yeah. I've, I've, I've had to learn how to use the sculpt and animation, and like, and I'm on a journey. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not like pro yet, but you know, I've been on that journey of like actually making content myself and using the tools and being familiar with them. What I really like about uh, MM is I feel like where there's a need, they make sure that there's like th- that it's getting filled in the right way. Yeah. And and we have such a Interesting game because it's a tool and it's a game and it has all these things. So, uh, uh, Alex, our feedback man- manager, who used to work in QA, is like a perfect person to be in that. Position because she can take that you know she like she can take the tools feedback and yeah. and leave Tom and I to more of the uh, our community manager yeah. um, to a lot of the, the social side of that and like lets us all focus on our areas and where we're really strong.
0: So you can just say okay this is a piece of feedback that's about something that might affect the dev team. You can pass it on to Alex and Alex can manage that conversation forward. Yeah, she
1: I mean like our team is active. Our team is great. They're so active in our uh, in our community. Um, you know not just like in those social spaces but on our forums. And and like and responding to people and helping people and providing guidance and uh, and and answering like that because we get a lot of the like well how do I do this, which is totally different because that's not normally a question people ask you about your games like how do I do this very specific instance of getting this yes. thing to do this thing to make a game you know yeah. like so it's been it's 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 a challenge and it's been amazing to have the team so on board with like being helpful and answering questions and like and and all the questions that like we ask them which is like this is a very specific question about game development
0: <laughs> i don't know the answer to but like
1: can you help me through this
0: so what percentage would you say of like community questions that come in about the editor essentially um, end up getting into the development team, and you get feedback from the development team about a specific problem or whatever. Like, is it like, you know, twenty percent of your questions end up becoming things that are that are dev facing? Is there like a notion? Do you have a notion of how of how much of the community is really pushing that? Like, I would imagine right now it's a it's lot. lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. Like a lot. Like right now specifically too, like a lot of like you know like minor bug fixes and stuff like that, or like some very specific tools feedback. Um, and we launched where we were we were very happy with the state of the tools. Like we yeah. wouldn't have done that. Like it's not like a it wasn't wasn't really janky. a beta test of the yeah. tools. It yeah. was like these feel good and finished and we need more time to work on content and other things and, and systems because it's very hard to develop those alongside the tools that you are actually using to make the game. Yes. Which
0: <laughs> <Just laughs> also a journey. Yeah, um, it's like you're building yeah. an engine, you're making a tool set in that engine, you're doing the UX on all those tools mm-hmm. for the developers, but then you also have to do the UX yeah. for all of the hobbyists that mm-hmm. are going to be playing it. And then eventually you have to create a suite of content to show people what the tool is capable of, right? And And that's like, that's, I just made, that's five things (laughs) and each of those things could take several years, right? And then some of them overlap and some of them can't. Yeah and we have
1: people learning to use uh, and and learning to create in areas that they don't normally create in and you know and, and also f- feedbacking and developing these tools because the tools have to be good enough for professional developers to use while at the same time supporting someone who wants to sit on a couch yeah. and make something with like you know their partner or their kids. Uh so it, it seems
0: like <laughs> so so much to chew let alone have bitten off but I I know from having seen the success of Little Big Planet and and actually, Siobhan gave a talk here last year about what mm-hmm. that about what that um, what that process was like. And like, I think if you sit down and really listen to the team, uh, to their vision for creativity and this idea of, of enabling new voices, it really does make a lot of sense. But also from a yeah, just remove it from a kind of like bloodthirsty game developer perspective, it seems like, wow, you're doing five things at once and that's so much. Like, yeah. why why do this? You know, like, is are there days when you're just like, why did we decide to do this? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. the list is so long, it'll never end. Like, does it feel like it's just like the mountain is getting taller as you go I th- forward?
1: I mean, I think it would just depend on whoever that you ask at the studio. I yeah. mean, some people have been on Dreams for like about seven years. Some like me have been on, you know, for, for like, two, you know, just for a couple. I think... Um, I'm sort of in that position right now where it's like I just there's there's literally so much that I want to do and there's so many different um, things that I want to tackle and and work on and like be a part of yeah. like y- being able to like focus and choose and say like okay well, right now this is what I need to do to get to that place and to to work on this thing is, is where I'm at and then I you know coming here and just people tackle such like interesting and sometimes overla- overlapping and, and intersecting areas of the industry it's like my brain was just firing on a million cylinders yeah. I just want to go home and like Make a lot think things. about it. Yeah, make a lot of notes and think about a lot of things, and and so it's like like figuring out which projects to sort of focus on and 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 care about for the time being, and what things can wait to like maybe a year or two down the line. when, yeah. you know, we're in, I, mean, I have no idea what dreams is going to look like in a year or two. Well, and
0: so really, what you're what you you sound like me being the executive producer on a game, right? Like I feel like in many ways, what you're doing is you're taking some of that role on because you're you're absorbing information about the customer and potential futures of the product. Much sooner than many people that are heads down on the development would be, right? And so, in a way, uh, maybe some of the curriculum hmm. for the community manager is about prioritization of features. It is like triage and, and working with production triage. really
1: closely and understanding that journey. Because, like again, it's about you know timelines and 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 what's available and like what and and making sure that that messaging is on point to where the game is at and where it's going to be. And so, like you have to work very closely with production. Like it's it's a very it's a role that needs to be integrated into the sort of admin side of the studio as well. Because yeah. it's you're not and sometimes because you're not just representing a game, you're representing a studio and you're representing the people who work there, but you're also helping them navigate. I mean, there's a whole side to this that we hadn't even touched on, where it's like you're helping people navigate, like, very new social spaces. And, and like, and I don't think anyone who works in games isn't familiar with, yeah. <laughs> like, the massive stories that come out of yeah. things that people say on on Twitter and, yeah. and how that can blow up and how that can, you know, change the, you know, the, the face of a studio in a day.
0: It's really interesting because it's, it really, it had been for a long time, like when I worked at EA, for example… Um, like, especially when I worked on The Sims, right? You have a small close group of people that manages the PR and the marketing for all of electronic arts. And then there's a person inside that group that is focused on your product. And then you have it, you had a schedule of engagements, like mm-hmm. you were going to show the game at E3, or you were going to show, give a talk at GDC, or you were going to do an interview with, you know, with G4 or something. And it was a very structured process so that to some extent, you had these little, production gates that you needed to get to and then you were like okay and then eventually we'll start the PR and the marketing campaign and it really allowed you to just shove off all that stuff until the end of development when you were really sure what the game was yeah and it's just like I feel like that that timeline has been crunched and moving forward now it's like from the beginning of the game almost you kind of need to be thinking about how do we want to represent the game ourselves our ethos what Mm -hmm. our quote unquote razor is that was the way we talked about it at EA you know what's the razor that you that basically determines whether a feature gets in or is cut Mm -hmm. and um, moving that to a public communication is it's a little scary as a developer to think about that and it it seems like everybody should be thinking about okay who's the community manager now when are we hiring Mm -hmm. in who's the voice like who's our voice yeah who's the voice and then when are we hiring in the feedback managers I'm like there's probably a whole separate timeline now for development, that's around that. Um, who do you think are the industry leaders in terms of managing that stuff? Like, I'm <sighs> I mean, gonna imagine it'd probably be your big, your big live games people, like the Blizzards and Epics of the world. Oh right yeah, now. yeah, of yeah. course. I
1: mean, anybody who has to deal with live, you know, like live service live and live content and 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 community directly and deal with crisis management, um, like Heroes. But also, I, I I don't know. It's such a weird. Um, you can't, you can't just judge it on like how like happy you say it. Part of it is like crisis management. And when you do hear about those things, like, is it handled in a way that's professional and, and, and makes you go like, wow, that was a really, like, that was a really thought out response. And I appreciate yeah. that that's what they're feeding back to their community. It's like, yeah. uh, I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think anybody who works in, in live service, uh, do you have
0: a mentor, somebody who that you go, that you go to when you, when you get stuck like have you had like someone who's been who's been ahead of you in industry or are you really like at the bleeding edge
1: well i have a lot of friends who work in pr i have a lot of friends who work in marketing but like i got into community management when it was like when when the the previous view of community management was, was really like forum managers and yeah. and or customer service and not actually like this as a role so like i no i don't really <laughs>
0: Have Is it fun? lonely? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I think for all the reasons I mentioned that like the career development, the um, the the, yeah, the sort of not ha- like, and at the same time, at uh, which I will say, you also are at the forefront of actually like absorbing people's enthusiasm and excitement and all the like the joy that people absorb yeah. from the games and everything that people make uh, and and their connections to it. So like. On one side, yeah, sure. I mean, it can be a little bit like isolating in this, like you occupy a sort of newer space, but not that it is anymore. Like there's a lot of people I think who work in it and you can have really good conversations with them. It's more, it's almost like a peer I know Jake, Jake came
0: in to talk to you at PAX for sure. He was like, <laughs> I went to talk to Abby because I really, I, she seems so cool and such a badass and it was so great talking to them about like what they're doing with the product and he was really inspired by you. So I know that that's, you're definitely mentoring oh, others. So that's great. Uh, what are some awesome. of the self-care strategies that you have for having so much emotional labor, dealing with so many different stakeholders, right? I mean, because that is a lot of work. I mean, and,
1: and, and then I, you know, and also like making sure, so, so basically when I got into it, I didn't really have someone to turn to in the way that I would have liked to, to say like, this is really hard right now. Yeah. And, and I've dealt with some really hard things. Yeah. And from like the deaths of community members to like showing games to people who have, you know, terminal illness illness and going through... All the range of emotions that you do when you work directly with people and you build what feels like very personal relationships with them. And so especially as like I develop people in the industry, I wish I had those things. Yeah. But I try to make like checking in all the time being like, are you okay? This is a really hard thing. Do you need anything? Do you need any help? Like, are you stressed? And also knowing that this is a job that you often take home at, like, weird hours on weird days and, like, I mean, I had, like, one of the things that I had to deal with this year happened at 8 in the morning, my first day on vacation. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, here goes today. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like… It's, it's an always-on It position. is. A, it is a bit always-on and that makes you a prime candidate for burnout, which yeah. I've experienced and it makes you a, a, a you know, just… Anxiety. I mean, like, especially being in a, you know, in a public position. Yeah. There's just a lot that comes with that. Yeah. And so I, I what I, well, some of, one of the ways that I do it is I've also, uh, I've helped people create boundaries. Because it's really important to have them, uh, you know, and so maybe that is like generally our community manager will like sign off on Fridays, going yeah. like, "Have a great weekend," like you know, just like letting people know that like yeah. I'm going home. Yeah, this and we is are my done. job. Yes. I'm not,
0: I'm not always on the internet with you. And is yeah. he
1: there if there is a crisis that happens? Sure. Like, of course he is, yeah. but. You need to be able to set – but you also need to be able to set your personal boundaries, yeah. the spaces that people can reach you in. And remember to keep private ones where people can't yeah. because it gets very easy to, like, let that mix so much into your life yeah. uh, that it's hard to separate. And so you need to be able – it's like I, – I, like, sometimes – and this sounds, sounds ironic coming from someone who, like, works social media, but it's like, think about why – your social channels are, are, are public. Like think about like what you want to get from interacting with people in public spaces and make sure that you preserve private ones where you feel comfortable. I've actually, I withdraw a lot from that and I really love seeing my friends in person. I don't tweet a lot. I don't do a lot of personal interaction, even though I have accounts and stuff online. And and part of that is like protecting that bit of me that like still needs to be able to do that for work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very
0: similar actually being in a, in a CEO CEO role or a business development role for a company, it's a very similar thing. You spend a lot of time uh, facing a publisher or facing the community or doing events and doing like public speaking. And so... Yeah, for me, I think I've also I've had this conversation with a lot of CEOs where you're like, okay, so what are your days off? <laughs> when one yeah. of the days when you when you don't look at the internet, when you're not mm-hmm. on your phone, how do you manage um all of your commitments? What do you say yes to? What do you say no to? If you're traveling a lot, which future me is gonna help is gonna hate yes, um, past me for exactly. saying yes to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you get that in- invite to that conference or to that event, and you go, Oh, that sounds like a good idea for the company, but you really have to ask yourself, is it a good idea for me? You know, yeah. like I actually took a bunch of time off this summer and I really needed it. I had no idea how much I had been working, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it's like seven years goes by and you go, wow, like even though I created a (laughs) sustainable studio and everyone's doing great, um, I have just literally not ever not thought about work. Like it's something I think about every day and it doesn't even have to be a lot of thoughts. If it's a couple of anxious thoughts that keep coming back, it's essentially 20% of your your bandwidth, you know. But I think, you know,
1: we're also at the tail end of a generation that grew up in like, you know, a, a more where crunch was a more acceptable thing, yeah. where that uh, people were having sort of less thought out conversations about those spaces. I mean, do you think that there will be a generation behind us that just has
0: like, or or do
1: you think that there or yeah, or do you think that like to some degree in these roles that that is inevitable?
0: You know, it's interesting. I had this experience at Gamescom, which um, which I've been talking to people about here at Dice a lot. Um, I have never been like a online, like connectedness, online person. I had a couple people I chatted with when I first started working in the industry. Mark Delora was one of them when I was in grad school and then transitioning industry. He was running PlayStation uh, partner relationships, uh, like second party, third party, and was online all the time. And we would always be on like, uh, you know, just like a chat, you know. Um, but I didn't really have a lot of like online presence or like a lot of Connected connectivity. So, when people started being online with each other more often, I think I kind of retreated from that. But at Gamescom, I got put on a like a messenger list with a bunch of people that were attending that were all friends of mine, but they're all about 10 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And their experience of the show was very different than mine usually is, but it really changed my perspective. And that whenever one of them was like hungry and needing to find someone to eat lunch with, or if you needed a safety pin, or you had a headache and needed a couple of aspirin or whatever, you would just right into the chat and somebody would be near you in your network and they would just come and rescue you. And it was really awesome. Like, it it was like, I'm used to going to a show. It's just me. Like, I'm the only representative for my company. I'm like doing a bunch of interviews and on-camera stuff and I'm racing from thing to thing. And if I like suddenly realize I haven't eaten, there's nobody that I can like text and be like, bring Mm. me a burrito. But in this case, there totally was. And it was really awesome. Even just- Well, they're a community. Yeah, just witnessing that community of support. And I think it's because- people that I know in that community are very interested in mental health and like supporting one another that way, that that was – it really changed my mind. It was like, okay, you know what? It's cool that my niece is online all the time. It's okay that she's constantly on Snapchat or Instagram chatting with her friends. I think that's totally fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to your point, it's like I, I also grew up with like a certain, you know, group of people who are all, you know, working in community. And I find that like people who work in community are also a community that are very supportive of each other that, you know, have, have, have some of these networks to, you know, to help each other out, promote each other's games. Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's incredible. And, you know, and I, what I, I've always loved the enthusiasm that they bring to it, but also how they, you know, support each other and build each other up, like communities, whether it's the community in your own studio, like I've done, like, I take community building very seriously yeah. to, like the point where I have like coached the company softball team. You know, like, <laughs> I did also try to teach people at Medium Molecule how to play American baseball. That didn't go well. <laughs> it was like, I felt like at, the, at a certain point I was explaining like, rules and nothing made sense anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I've never understood cricket. I don't think I ever will. I still it's don't, It's no. not one of those things that I would ever do. But get. I would
1: like love to go and sit there and watch a match with like, you know, like an Aperol Spritz or something in the yeah. afternoon. I haven't done that, but like, it sounds yeah, nice.
0: It seems, yeah, it seems like people might wear nice hats or something. Yeah, and fancy hats. Can get, you can get fascinators.
1: That's, you know. Yeah.
0: No. What, what do you think are the things that you're going to be doing in the next year or so on this product. Like when you look out from like next year at Dice, when I chat with you, what's going to be, where are you guys going to be at? What are you, what are you planning for over the next year?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're obviously planning for the Blue Ripe. So yeah. that is like a big chunk of the work that the team is taking on right now. Um, but also looking at like, what is, what is that you know first year, what is content in that first year? what are the you know features in that first year? like how do we you know build how do we communicate that to our fans build that sort of roadmap of of what that looks like but also how do we develop you know interesting partnerships within dreams and 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 dreams as a platform because yeah. it is a platform and and that comes with a whole huge set of of challenges and but also like really exciting stuff and so yeah, I, I god. I'd like to think that I know the answer to that question because I do have a bit of like a plan in my head and I have a bunch of projects that I've been working on and some really, really exciting stuff that I'm very passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, b- but like, you also have
0: to be reflexive, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. You have to be able to react to like what is happening, where things are developing, and like that's been you know the part of early access is like you have to be paying attention to how people are using it and doing it, and that might yeah. actually impact things that you're working on in other ways. Yeah. So it's you know, being flexible and adapting to that as well. It's
0: really interesting because you used to be able to just ignore the uncertainty of games <laughs> for a long time. You know, you just yeah. you just like make a design doc and then like get approved, and then you start working on it. And all the uncertainty was in the tech side and like whether or not you could really implement it. And it seems like now what we're doing is we're doubling down on communication, which means that the uncertainty is kind of exploding in some Mm -hmm. ways. And so it's a really interesting time to be a developer because you can be reflexive and -hmm. elastic in your communications and you can think about the development um in terms of how it will land with a potential customer and you can have customers that are not paying but are giving you feedback which is essentially labor yeah. and you're and you're really and they're really shaping the product and then at some point you're going to go from that point to the other point yeah. where you're suddenly just servicing a paying customer and that's like a really yeah. that's a really interesting transitional time for for a game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you also have to be aware of like the people who sit in like you have your your core community and the people who are a part of that like day to day engagement and then the people who sit right outside of that that probably are you know your evangelists and love what you do and love your vibe and your company but you don't know their name and you've never heard of them and you never will yeah and you have to be thinking you know making sure that when you are looking at what people are saying and that that you're that you're thinking about your you know those extra like layers of of you know, consumers and players. The
0: full range of of consumers and players, which is we've been talking about here at the show is broader and broader as as games become more and more of the entertainment spend. You know, uh, today in one of the talks, uh, someone was pointing at the... $1.7 $1.7 billion marketplace <laughs> yeah. of, of entertainment overall. And then the you know $196 million, or maybe it was $196 billion and $1.2 trillion. I can't even remember. There were these huge numbers. But like games is a small part of entertainment at large, effectively. Yeah. But it's one of the largest sub-bubbles, right? And it's yeah. eating the bigger bubble was kind of the point of the talk. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. Like As we start to become more community-oriented mm-hmm. and more more elastic with our communications yeah. we're we're moving into the territory of broadcast yeah. and thinking about, you know, the game is is a performance in and of itself.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the things I love about Dreams. Like, you can actually use it for not only, like, performance, which we have done, like, on a stage. And one of our yeah. uh, developers does uh, Algoraves, just like, live, like, algorithmic, like, music programming, uh, which is super cool. Uh, and our team has performed, like, animators and our sound designers have, like, gone and, like, actually performed on stage. But also, you can do performative game development. You can go on Twitch, and you can make a game alongside your community based on the choices that they make, which is, like, more or less what we do on our weekly, uh, like one of our weekly streams, yeah. Um, and that performative element of it is like a whole nother. Like that, I mean, like I could just <laughs> go off on like that side and like work on things where you know, like ab- about that for a while.
0: I feel like at this point you're about ready to write a book. I feel like at some point you know you should sit down and write <laughs> down your experience and be like, here's what it means to be a community manager in game and put it out there because you have obviously such a wealth of knowledge about the about what is I think one of the most interesting and emerging jobs and and sort of areas in in our community and i just wanted to say thank you for taking the time oh, thank to share you. some of that with us today thank you you're awesome
1: oh, i appreciate it thank you i mean i feel like sometimes i feel like i don't know anything because it's a new space and you just have to constantly learn and and evolve to it and 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 it's which is like a whole weird like scary cool thing but i, I really appreciate you saying yeah, you're that at the forefront of i love i love talking to you All right, so.
0: cheers thank you so much abby thanks robin Thank you for listening to the Game Makers Notebook. If you'd like to support the podcast and more content like this, please consider leaving us a rating and review. In addition to this podcast, the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences also produces the Dice Summit. To our listeners currently working in games, Dice Summit is the premier speaking and networking event in our industry. Dice will take place from February 11th to 13th at the Aria Resort and Casino in Las Vegas listeners will receive 20% off their Dice Summit registration with code G-M-N-2020. To register or learn more, please visit www.dicesummit.org.